0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out all the very many things that we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So at some point in the life of most skiers and snowboarders, I think we all have that thought, man, it would be cool to start a ski company or a snowboard company. And while most of us daydream about that sort of thing, there are a few folks who actually start walking down that road. And today we are talking with such a person, Doug Bashand, who is the founder of Full Send Ski Company. And in this conversation, Doug does a terrific job of sort of taking us off from that daydreaming phase of, oh yeah, wouldn't it be cool to start a ski company, to actually telling us how he went about it, why he went about starting Full Send, how much money it costs to even attempt to do such a thing, and as you'll hear, it's pretty interesting to hear how Blister was kind of indirectly, but actually kind of directly involved with Doug starting this company. This episode of the Blister podcast is presented by Carve. Now, a number of you heard me talk about Carve with Ted Ligeti over on our Gear 30 podcast. And it has been fascinating to hear just how many of you have been hitting us up saying, okay, we heard you talk about that. Tell us about Carve are you guys liking it, how is it working, and the rest. And what I can say for now is, so far, so good. And this has been interesting. I know Luke Kappa has been spending time with Carve, Dylan Wood has, and Kristen Sinnott has, and I just actually talked to Kristen about her experience with it so far. And what she said is that, it's fun to see the evaluations and get the coaching tips, especially on those days that maybe aren't the biggest pow days out there, right? Maybe conditions are kind of firm or visibility isn't that great. That's when Kristen says that she has found this carve system to be particularly motivating to stay out on the Hill longer. Now, That's all I want to say about this for now. You can head over to getcarve.com to poke around and learn a bit more about this for yourself. We will include a link to getcarve.com in the show notes of this episode and some cool news for those of you who will be coming to our blister summit. Carve is going to be there. And so you will be able to check out the carve system for yourself. And I cannot wait to collect your opinions on this. So just a reminder here, our blister summit is February 4th through the 8th here in Mount Crested Butte. Oh, and by the way, we just picked up about four feet of snow here. So the mountain, once again, is going to be in fabulous shape for the summit. Knock on wood that we continue this trend. And in addition to Carve being there, There are going to be a number of brands like Forefront and BCA and Deuter, DinaStar, Folsom, Glade, Icelandic, Kesley, Majesty, Moment, Mountain Flow, ON3P, Ordovox, Phantom Glide, Raid, Rosignal, Solomon, Zipfit, Zag, and more. But that's all I'm going to read for the moment. So come to the Blister Summit. That's February 4th through the 8th. Come check out a huge range of cool products come ski with a number of pro athletes like Cody Townsend and Elise Sogstad and Hoji and Angel Collinson and there are a bunch more than that and of course come hang out with all of us little blister reviewers too because you know we can be fun anyway it's going to be a great event we will include a link To the Blister Summit registration in the show notes of this episode, you're also going to get a lot more info about the summit there. And so, come to the summit, get on a bunch of stuff, and tell me what you think of Carve while you're here. And now, let's talk about startups and pursuing your dreams and learning what it's actually like to start a ski company. Here we go. Well, Doug, welcome to Blister Headquarters. Thank you. It's been a
1: dream to actually finally come out and see it. So it'll be uh, a, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I wouldn't imagine myself here like 10 years ago and everything kind of started kicking off. So it's very, very nice.
0: Well, I have to say, this is your first trip to Crested Butte. Your timing is impeccable because I believe you've just been skiing, you know, you caught, I think, all of this sort of 40, 48 inch storm.
1: Yep. We uh, decided we wanted to trade the cold South Dakota temperatures for warm crested butte and more snow. And it worked out pretty darn well. So instead of it being negative 20, it's a balmy 20 degrees and we have, you know, 18, 20 inches afresh as opposed to 29 inches for our season total.
0: Yeah. Well, I did not get to ski today. I'm trying to be a good patient and I'm still kind of, you know, well, doctor's orders, like don't ski just yet. So tell me a little bit about today, yesterday what did you think? I want to live vicariously for just a minute or two.
1: So yesterday was definitely better. Like the moisture content, the snow was a little bit lighter. So it's a lot Mm -hmm. more fluffy, which is always nicer. And it was just floaty, good, still pretty crowded, but overall there's still plenty of fresh turns we found out in the trees and whatnot. And still kind of interesting because it's always fun trying to figure out a new mountain when you get there. So it's, I'll always go back to, like, I've always had the best days of powder skiing at my home mountain, Terry Peaks, South Dakota, just because I know that mountain you know exactly so well. exactly where to go. Exactly. Yeah. You know it a lot more intimately, like yeah. every nook and cranny. You know how you can make a powder day last for, you know, a week if you really want to, like, start pushing it. But as far as, like, catching the storm cycle, right, like, really lucked out here with Crested. Today was fantastic as well. A little heavier snow, so a little more creamy. So it was mm-hmm. a nice change of pace, honestly, to mm-hmm. get, like, not only the best champagne powder, but then flip side and get something a little more closer to like the West Coast, a little more creamy, a little more moisture dense. But overall, I'd say picked a good time to come out to Crested Butte.
0: Very cool, man. Well, I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have. You know, there's, I think, a lot of folks out there kind of talk or fantasize a little bit about, yeah, man, it'd be sick to like start a ski company. You've actually done that, And so I thought that is what we would kind of do today, kind of hear the story and how things got started, how it's going, and the rest. So maybe I start with this question. Why did you decide to start a ski company? Well, I like to
1: make the joke that like it all started out with, I, funnily enough, read a bunch of Blister Gear Review articles back in early, like 2013, 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. And that kind of started to instigate not only my passion for skiing, because to go back even further, like I actually didn't start really start skiing multiple times a year until I actually went out to college. Mm-hmm. So 2013, first year out of college, out at South, School, South Dakota School of Mines, and the whole reason I went there was for skiing. Which I know it's it's not Colorado. We've our our vertical is a thousand feet if we're lucky, but so I started off there and just fell in love with the sport. Frankly. And then started to get more into the kind of the engineering side of it or more of the review side of it and just wanting to know more about how are skis made, what are different characteristics of skis that make them perform certain ways for certain people. And that led me down a rabbit hole of basically devouring almost all of the early like blister gear review articles Mm -hmm. about the Rossingle Sickle, the Moment Mm -hmm. Bibby Pro, (laughs) Mr. Pollard's Opus, Mr. Pollard's Magnum Opus, and just really wanting to like learn more and just honestly kind of like ski vicariously through them and that actually then turned into making all of my purchasing de- purchasing decisions off of what those articles said huh. so i actually ended up with a moment bibi Pro, <laughs> ended up with a mr pollard's opus i ended up the k2 shredder it took me a while to find a uh, rosignal sickle it was the only downside because i unfortunately was just getting into skiing i think a year or two after they quit with like the Rosingle s series mm-hmm. which is sad because that was honestly probably the peak of rosignal I mean, if I had to make that judgment call, I would say the S series, they have not gotten any better from there. Huh. Maybe the, maybe the Black Ops is really good, but like, have you skied
0: the Black Ops?
1: I have, we actually have a pair of Black Ops too. Okay. we me and my dad ended up having quite the collection of skis that yeah. we kind of accumulated before we started building our own. Yeah. And so anyway, that kind of all snowballed, no pun intended, into then me wanting to build my own skis because I wanted to take characteristics that I found in the Rosingle Sickle, Mr. Pollard's Opus, and the Moment B Pro and kind of combine them into a weird Franken ski of sorts that would more or less just be almost the perfect ski for me. Hmm. And that's kind of been my dream that I've been chasing so far. Not so much building it for building the perfect ski for other people. We still try to do that. But mainly the whole goal for like shape profile, flex profile, is to combine all those characteristics and to make the ski that I love the most and will essentially be a one ski quiver as impossible as that technically is i've been trying to like find that high or ride that high ever since
0: Mm -hmm. by the way i'm looking around this room because my pair of 190 bibbies it's usually on display here but luke just shot a video and I think those bibbies were in the video, so I think they got moved, but I should, I should find those and show you those because those were literally the skis I was on before I started blister and was kind of skiing those a bunch, a bunch of days, uh, back in Taos. And so that'd be, I guess, since there's, since blister, I guess, had something to do with your, your journey here, that, that would be a, an appropriate thing to, to find, to show you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, and it's been a fun journey to get here too as far as going from someone who didn't really grow up skiing or grow up kind of in that skiing culture, mm-hmm. but then to find it in one of maybe the weirdest places you'd kind of, ex- the last place you'd expect to find it, which is South Dakota. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of both skiing out there, ski cultures maybe five to 10 years behind ski culture everywhere else. But honestly, it's a fantastic place. Like the people there are great. Mm-hmm. I've had tons of, I mean, I've been very, very grateful for like all the ski shops that I've had to interact with it's like peak sports and edge sports. Like those are the two local ones there. They have helped me out to no end. I literally, I could not express the amount of gratitude I owe them. I mean, even the same with getting to know both, you know, Luke over at moment and then Mm -hmm. Mike down at Folsom too. Mm -hmm. Like all the little, all the ski companies in North America are just honestly very kind to like up and coming Mm -hmm. builders as well. And they've helped me out a ton. I've actually got moments base grinder in my shop. So (laughs) still going strong as much as I abuse it. (laughs) And then, uh, Mike down at Folsom helped hook me up with some ski cores here recently, which was a huge blessing. So I've been, I want to make sure they get all their praise and thanks mm. too, because that's been, help, helps me out a bunch, saves me a bit of money,
0: and uh, yeah, keeps the dream alive. Mm. Very cool. So when you are getting into this ski thing, thinking, man, I think I'd like to try my hand at building skis, you then, as you said chose to go to school in South Dakota as opposed to heading to Colorado or Utah or something. What what was behind that decision?
1: Probably the biggest thing behind that decision was family. Yep. We've got almost all of our extended family in Rapid City, South Dakota. And there was a ski hill there. Yep. And I was two and a half hours away from my parents. And as much as I like thinking that I'm super adventurous, I still like being somewhat close to home. Mm-hmm. So I ended up deciding, oh, I'll stick pretty close. I'll still be able to go out, get some relatively good skiing compared to most of the Midwest. And then I can still kind of pursue my dream as both engineering and also go skiing all the time. And that was, that was the main reason behind it. If I wouldn't have gone with School of Mines, I probably would have gone East and gone to like Brookings over at SDSU. And I doubt full send would have ever happened, but because, because I would have been flatland Biggest hill over there would have been 400 vertical feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I might have skied for fun, but I doubt I would have gotten as into it. I maybe would have, unfortunately, ended up as an ice fisherman, mm-hmm. which would have been a lot of PBR drink, more so than
0: skiing now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so from that formal education, how do you now look at that? How critical was that to what you're doing today? How kind of tangential could you have done what you're doing today without that training or you know speak to that a bit
1: yeah so i could have very easily done this without going to like a formal engineering college the only thing that the engineering college really added was when i weirdly enough switched majors because i started out as a mechanical engineer Mm -hmm. which was a very dumb idea because i hate math despise it to no end, was never a huge fan of it, and mechanical engineering, as most mechanical engineers know, is mainly math. So I don't really know why I decided that was a good idea. So I did that for three and a half years because I'm stubborn, and before I finally decided, oh, maybe I should switch over and do engineering that might be a little more fun, so I did industrial engineering, which the joke with industrial engineering is it's imaginary engineering because there's not a lot of uh, hard math involved, which was perfect. Huge fan. (laughs) Couldn't complain in the slightest. And then – but it worked out really well because industrial engineering does a lot more with, like, quality control, QC-related items, how to actually put a product together as opposed to kind of designing an individual aspect of the product. So most mechanical engineers might design engine parts, but it'll, it'll be more or less the industrial engineers that determine how do they get all those parts together and how do they source all those parts. So that helped me out a lot with ski building from the sense of how can I set up, like, a relatively safe and efficient workshop to be able to manufacture the skis – and on top of that, how can I go out and source all the different materials? Where do I look to source them? How can I bring them all together? How do those materials interact? Mm-hmm. How can I make sure I keep all my equipment in specs so that I'm getting like consistent flex profiles out of the CNC, consistent pressing out of the press, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get clear on the timeline. So 2013, 2014, you're reading a bunch of blister reviews on stuff and getting more and more into skiing. You go to school for engineering starting what year?
1: 2013.
0: 2013. Okay, so yep. same time. Same time for him. And then walk through the timeline a bit to actually starting Full Scent.
1: The, and the best part about this timeline is it's all tagged to what ski I was skiing on that year. Uh-huh. So it started out, funnily enough, with a pair of like Elan pinballs, which was like the shittiest park ski that you could have <laughs> found. It was foam core. I bought it from Shields because I was very dumb and uninformed at that time. And so I started off riding that 2013. Eventually, God bless my dad, bought me a pair of uh, Rossingale S7s Mm -hmm. as kind of my first actual ski. So then rode that until the following year, 2014. And at that point, I had been reading a bunch of blister gear review articles. So I was like, all right, I want to get a Mr. Pollard's Opus. So shopped around, steep and cheap, came in clutch and got a pair of 178 MPOs, rode the crap out of those guys and then following season to that i think now we're in like 2014 2015 i kept reading a bunch about the blister gear review articles on the moment bibi pro and i was like all right i need to ski this if there's like they're in love with it they harass moment to no end if they change anything Mm -hmm. about it and there's just endless amount of articles from a variety of reviewers stating how good the ski is and so i ended up getting that really loved it However, I need to gain some more weight because I'm still kind of a lightweight for that mm-hmm. ski's flex profile. So what, did
0: you grab the 184 or the 190? 184.
1: Yep. Yeah. So even that was just, it worked great, but it just took a different style maybe than what I necessarily wanted yep. out of the ski. Not to knock the ski at all in the slightest. It just all came down to kind of my preference. Yep. Same and as- cer-
0: And certainly going from a Mr. Pollard's Opus yes, to a Bibby, right? Exactly. Yeah. Especially
1: since the Mr. Pollard's Opus was in a 178. So that uh-huh. was- yeah. Too way lighter, sh- yeah. shorter. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Way light, way too short, but uh, still very fun, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we eventually actually corrected that mistake and got a 184 version of it. So we're sitting a little better now with that, at least back in the ski archive. Gotcha. So then after we got that, i had kind of come to the conclusion like, all right, like I'm really interested. I want to start kind of building my own here. And so I started playing around. I, you know, Ski Builders Forum is, I think, still exists as far as I know. So I started digging into ski builders forums to figure out, all right, what do I need to get skis manufactured? How can I build these? Even And it started out, too, just thinking, this is just going to be a hobby thing. I'm going to do this for fun. But I ended up looking into, how do I build a ski press? You know, how do I source materials? How do I get it all to bond together? What are, you know, what sort of core flexes do I need to be looking at? And, you know, thank the Lord for, honestly, it's Scott Andrus. Mm-hmm with on 3P. Yeah. So he has huge, he had a huge post, I think on new schoolers. And in addition, he had quite a few posts then on a, the ski builders forum as well, just talking about manufacturing process, yeah. kind of recording like his start from when he started yeah. building skis in a garage to then all the way to on 3P as it stands now. Yeah. So, you know, God bless him. Cause I was able to <laughs> sit there and dig away a bunch of good info and just kind of skip a bunch of pain points to be able to start manufacturing and This was all going on kind of in the background for about two years. So from 2014, before we finally pressed our first pair in 2016, it was a bunch of research, figuring out kind of what to do. And in the meantime, reading more Blister Gear Review articles, buying more skis. So ended up with, I think we got a, uh, oh gosh, the Chris Benchettler Pro model in the 120 back when it was like the only one, back when they had the ABS tips. Mm -hmm. So the tips were still pretty heavy Mm -hmm. relative to the body of the ski, which... I really liked, especially compared to the new one, because it tended to dampen out the oscillations at the end of the ski. Downside, of course, added a little bit of weight, but I kind of prefer a heavier, damp ski that's a little loose as opposed to, like, maybe a lightweight stiff ski, because then you're less likely to have any sort of, like, abrupt, jarring motion from any sort of unexpected impact from snow. Just a small side note. This tailors more into then kind of how my ski started to get designed. But, so we ended up going from the Mr. Paul to the Moment be Pro to the and Chetler twenty, and then eventually found an old Rossingale Sickle, which was amazing, and skied the crap out of those things, which was hilarious considering it was a ski from like, at that point, like seven years yeah. ago or seven years old, but still a fantastic ski and held up really well. And finally, once we kind of had that conglomeration of skis all thrown together, which, and the Rosingle Black Ops, got to throw the mention in for them because also a really good ski. I finally decided, all right, I think I can combine the different aspects of these skis into kind of the perfect ski for me. And that's when I sat down with my parents and I was like, I want to start building skis. I want to start spending some of the money I saved up and buy a ski press, eventually buy a CNC machine, and then eventually get it incorporated and turned into a basically a small business.
0: Hmm. And your parents said?
1: They actually said yes, which I was more surprised about. And they keep they have kept saying yes, continually too, which as I'll save some of these details for later on the timeline, but I'm very thankful for because they've been hundred percent supportive mm. in the whole endeavor. I still get to go skiing all the time with my dad mm. and he rides all of our skis. He's very good for testing because he's a completely different mind. And not only that, but he ended up breaking his foot about a year or two ago now. So he's a little more sensitive to any sort of like tuning issues or edging issues or flex profiles, which is good for me because then I can kind of have a, a really good second opinion that's super critical on whether or not I'm kind of meeting expectations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall parents were wholeheartedly on board with this, which very, very grateful for.
0: Yeah. And so that conversation with your parents, that was what year?
1: That would have been 2015, 2016.
0: 2015, 2016. And you are how old at that time? Oh, gosh.
1: When I started college, 2013, so I was 18 then. So this would have been
0: what 23, 24, I want to say. If we're gonna go back there now, so 23, 24 is when you have the conversation with them. If it helps you with the math, so it. I don't know if you know this. It's 2024 now. Yep. Um, and you are today how old? 28. Okay.
1: Yes. Almost 29, 28,
0: 29. I think around there. Yeah. Around there. Yeah, I had my
1: high school tenure this year, so I'm feeling old at least.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. So 23, 24 year old, Hey mom and dad, I want to start this, like turn it into a real company. And here we are several years later, you're either 28 or 29. Who can say one of those, one of those. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. Well, here's to supportive parents. So what are the next steps? You said you had saved some money. Yep. Like how how much were you thinking you needed at the time just to be able to do anything, buy certain machines, build certain machines? Like how were you thinking about just the, the financial aspects of doing this? So starting off, I
1: was roughly kind of ballparking around like $5,000 like total for like the starting intro to like both buy materials, mm-hmm buy the ski press, and uh, just kind of, you know, buy all the miscellaneous items like bandsaw, jigsaw, wood planer, et cetera, and kind of stayed within that realm. It eventually kind of snowballed more, especially once I wanted to get something a little more, honestly, user-friendly, which is why we were not in Bada CNC. Now, going if I had to go back and kind of change how I started, I probably would have done a lot more of like building in-house just so I understood the equipment a lot better, but at the time, the only thing I really cared about was I wanted to be able to build and manufacture skis that I could ride on. So like what was the easiest way to get there that I could do at the same time as going to college and trying to get an engineering degree? And that involved a lot more of like, all right, I can outsource and buy nicer equipment to start with, figure that out, as opposed to like, you know, trying to build my own CNC right off the bat, which I was definitely not prepared then to do it. Maybe now I could kind of beat my head against the wall and figure it out. But at the time, it was much simpler to purchase most of, the, most of the equipment items and through the course of just savings and then going in halvesies with my dad essentially on it. So him and I are basically, each of us own 50% of the company and it works out great for me. I got a free lawyer on board. So mm-hmm. that saves me tons of money, mm-hmm. which is really nice. So shout out to dads that are lawyers. That's really good. It's also my primary market, funnily enough, dads that are lawyers because that's where the money's at.
0: <laughs> so here's to having parents who are supportive and also lawyers. Yes, also that's lawyers. That's yep. what we're learning in this, in this conversation. Yep. Lawyers
1: um, aren't all bad, which is mostly bad, though, 90%. He'll tell you 90%. So,
0: <laughs> Backing up for a second, y- 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 we talked a bit about your background, when you started skiing, some of your educational background. What else were you into growing up, though? Anything else on the sports side of things? I played a lot of hockey.
1: I was never extremely good at it. It was JV superstar all through high school. So that was great, Mm -hmm. but had a ton of fun, got a couple, seven or so concussions that I can remember. And, uh, but yeah, I think hockey definitely helped me a bunch with kind of like transitioning to skiing later in life, especially with just like the edge work, edge control and skating, skating to skiing translates really well. Whenever I go back now and do drop in hockey, it does not translate back to hockey. Mm-hmm. So it's really weird when I get on skates again, I'm like, I have, I can't lean forward or back. There's no flex here. It's just mm-hmm. blades. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I did hockey. I, I, I don't know if I want to call pole vaulting something that I actually did because it was more just-
0: Hockey and pole vaulting.
1: Well, I never cleared a bar in a meet, so I don't really want to say I did pole vaulting. I kind of just showed up and ate snacks out of the cooler and then got a varsity letter with it you for some t- reason.
0: You attempted pole vaulting. Yeah, I attempted okay. pole vaulting. That's probably I good. mean, that's, that's pretty brave, I think. Pole vaulting, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It seems like these could really go wrong in that sport. So. They can. They don't go as wrong, though, if you never
1: clear a bar. You stay real low to the ground, so, <laughs> okay. you know, safety first. <laughs>
0: Safety first. Yeah. Okay. So, we're around 2015, 2015-16. You've talked to your parents. They are supportive. You've, frankly, kind of. I. I think that budget is. You said five thousand just that, to kind of get some stuff started. That seems really close to zero.
1: Yeah, that was the starting budget. It yeah. has quickly ballooned from there now. Yeah. So like. At this point, the amount of money I probably comfortably say we've invested in like equipment overall is around like 20, 25K probably. So we've got stone grinder, belt grinder, shout out moment for the belt grinder, hmm. and uh, a couple edgers that I kind of, can I go off on a tangent on how much I hate the Grindright ST500 like ski edger? Sure. For like putting yeah, in an is- initial. That's what in we're in- here for. Oh my gosh. It's so bad. Putting an initial base bevel on with like that deal is it works occasionally, which is the most frustrating thing because it's never consistent. Hmm. And it has been the biggest pain in my ass the entire time. The only saving grace is we have Peak Sports in Rapid City, South Dakota, that has, from what I believe, South Dakota's only ceramic edger. Hmm. So I take pretty much all my skis there now when they have their edger running to have them do the base and side edge just because the grind ride will do a rough job enough, but it, I have, I have been so frustrated with that to no end. <laughs> and it's been the, the greatest pain in my butt. And I'm about ready to buy an, buy an actual ceramic edger. So we have two in the state. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you could get that off your chest. I feel like you, a weight has been lifted. Uh, so, it has. It's, yeah.
1: I have no one to complain about this to Cause like everyone else I talked to is just like, ah, no yeah. idea. So, but that has been, I've got two of those damn things too. So it's, they weren't great, I think, if you just have a preset edge from a factory. Mm-hmm. But trying to set in an initial edge when that edge is coming out of the press at a straight ninety and ninety, it works sometimes. <laughs> it works sometimes. I just <clears throat> wish it would work either not at the time or all the time. <laughs> okay. And maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe someone in maybe someone that like knows a lot more than me about ski tuning can like correct me or harass me on Instagram on how I can do it correctly. Which, if that's the case, please someone do that.
0: All right. Well, I think given our audience. You know, hey, folks, if you can help, hit up Doug. Yes, please. uh, Yeah, see if you can help help a guy out. All right, let's go back to ski design. You've talked a bit about, you found some skis that you kind of resonated with. They were giving you a sense of where you might want to go with your own design. But talk about how you first started scratching out some designs for skis what were some of the things that were most important to you? Or at this point, had you read enough stuff on Blister to really be paying attention to all of the different elements that kind of go into creating a a ski that, that just works well as a total package?
1: So I had kind of an idea of where I wanted this ski to perform. And I essentially wanted it to be a combination. If I had to pick just like two off the bat, it would be, the Moment Bibby Pro, or at least now the Moment Wildcat, yeah. and then Mr. Pollard's Opus, yeah. as far as like, I love the Opus shape. The 18 meter side cut radius is honestly kind of my preferred overall, as much as I kind of experimented around. Mm-hmm. So an 18 meter side cut radius, pretty heavily tip and tail taper, along with a nice substantial rocker in the tip and tail. And at the time I had added in a decent chunk of camber and pff, not a decent chunk. It was, Try to effectively clone kind of the Bibby camber profile, but then with more rocker. So, kind of maybe taking almost the rocker from the Mr. Pollard's Opus, attaching it to the Bibby camber profile, taking the Mr. Pollard's Opus tip and tail taper, and then with the Opus, then side cut radius, and then kind of an odd thing, but then the Bibby's flex profile, or at least what I tried to uh, reverse engineer off of the Bibby's hmm. flex profile. Hmm. I don't know what their exact specs are for how they cut their cores. I'd love to actually learn that at some point because that'd be kind of neat to see like either how close I was or like where I ended up compared mm-hmm. to what they did. But uh, that first flex profile that I kind of like reverse engineered off of the moment BB Pro actually worked really, really well, which I have been very surprised with because I still use it in skis today and it's still very fun, super stable underfoot, but then very playful out in the tip and tails. Mm-hmm.
0: By the way, I think this is the place to insert another anecdote. Luke Kappa, I, I I called Luke real quick before I came over to headquarters to meet you here. And Luke was like, Hey, by the way, y- you remember we met Doug, right? And I was like, what do you want to tell this story? I'm curious <laughs> how much you remember of this versus what Luke remembered of this. So
1: it's a, I don't know. It's, it's- Small world, basically. We had ended up going to Arapo Base, at apparently, at the same time that you guys were skiing there, mm-hmm. and I want to say, taking this back to what ski I was riding at the time, it was probably four, four or five years
0: ago. I think,
1: maybe four years ago.
0: Luke, Luke thought this was like 2016, but I, I, I think it was 2018. I want to say,
1: yeah, okay. Because sixteen, 2016 was like the first year we pressed skis. Okay and those skis sucked.
0: Okay.
1: Like the first 3 pairs we made, horrendously terrible, and they didn't they didn't hold together. But good practice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, mean
0: nobody is going to build a ski for the first time and be like, "Well, I just nailed that." Exactly,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there could be some. There might be some smart kids out there that get mm-hmm. away with it. I'm
0: going to stand by what I just said actually. <laughs> so, if anybody yeah, wants to actually counter that, um you know where to find us, but yeah. anyway, so I wouldn't be too hard on yourself for that.
1: Yeah, so we uh, basically ended up running into Luke and Jonathan out at Arapo Basin, and I only knew that because I had been following you guys on Instagram, and I saw you guys post something about being at A-Base, and I was like, huh, that's funny. So I'm sitting there eating lunch there, and I look out, and I'm like, oh, that looks like it might be Luke or Jonathan out there. <laughs> so I went out there and asked him, and it was Luke, and I had a pair of skis that I had made at the time, which I handed him and they were with, they were built with what I like to affectionately call the noodle core, uh-huh. which is about the, I think the softest ski core that I am aware of right now in existence. Yeah. Cause you can like, you can hand flex them and yeah. fold them in half. Yeah. <laughs> and that's then what Luke did. He like hand flexed and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and like f- banana peeled this thing about, yeah. about to make a perfect you. And that was uh, yeah, that was the first interaction I've ever had with a blister other than just kind of like, creepily watching from the shadows per se
0: I feel like I kind of live in dog years with blister but I do remember our chairlift ride and I think you know one of the things when you know over the years when we have been hit up by young companies like we I probably said exactly this that day like give yourself some time like Get your stuff dialed, get the stuff to where you really think you're very, very happy with it before sending it to us because our we have one job and that is to be accurate, right? And yes. and so it just um you know I think now, I mean, we're about to turn 13 years old, uh, but um I think these days companies kind of tend to know that, but I think you know, it used to be somebody was like, Hey, I just started a company and I wanna send you all our sick stuff. And it's like, dude, if this isn't good, we're not trying to be mean, but we are going to have to be accurate. And I we just didn't want it to go badly for anybody. So anyway, I, I imagine yeah, I said yeah. something along those lines that that day.
1: And that's completely fair too, because it's like it does it takes time mm-hmm. not only to like dial in your build process for like making sure you can replicate the Mm -hmm. same ski over and over and over again. And at the same time, making sure that like, just even just your build quality stays consistent as well. Because if you start off and you've been building skis for a year or two, like sure, they might last a year or two, but you only know as much as you know. So beyond that, you might not have any idea for how long that ski stays together, depending on your build process, which it is. If you do enough research, it's easy to really kind of like get around a bunch of the hurdles with the both building, designing, and manufacturing process. It just takes a lot of reading, a lot of forum digging, and honestly, just a lot of testing too, mm-hmm. which I've done quite a bit. And I mean, do you want to talk about the,
0: the shitty pair I sent you guys? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you brought it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the uh, the first pair I sent Blister was, uh, I was under the impression that it's like, all right, it needs to be stiff. It's got to be like, very supportive. So instead of, you know, maybe instead of building a ski that like I really like to ski on, I was trying to build a ski that I thought they would like to Mm -hmm. ski on. And unfortunately, I ended up changing too much without doing enough testing, Uh which then luckily for, well, not luckily for me, but then blister figured out, which hopefully they didn't ruin too many ski days out of this deal. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my, you know, it was a good, Slap in the face, honestly, just to kind of be like, all right, I need to make sure that I'm only making small adjustments here and I'm only staying within my realm of like comfortability Mm -hmm. for how I'm doing things. And before I send off like a less tested design, I need to make sure that I've actually ridden on this and I understand how it operates. Because the design that I ended up sending you guys had been skied on before and had gotten some really good feedback, which looking back on it now, I kind of don't understand maybe its entirety, but the gentleman that was riding, it was probably 250, 260 pounds, and, you know, usually loved running just like essentially atomic race skis. And he had nothing but glowing reports to say. So I was like, all right, I based all of that off of essentially one data point. When in reality, I should have gotten multiple data points and had myself included in that data pool mm-hmm. to fully understand where it was going. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good, but, good important lessons. Yeah.
1: Very good, important lessons. But also very nice of you guys to then tell me that like, hey, this ski sucks. We're not going to ski on this anymore. Mm -hmm. It'd be a waste of time to review it. And it was, yeah, complete waste. So round two is going to be, at least from the initial things I've heard, it's much, much, much better.
0: Mm -hmm. I think those are good lessons though, right? I mean, if we're pulling general takeaways out of this conversation, that's got to be one of them, right? That If you're sending, if you're a young company, you're sending something out there, can you at least ride or die yourself with that product? Yes. Right. Um, Because if you're like, well, I think they might like A, B or C, because frankly, I mean, we talk about this a lot. Our job is not just to be like, that is exactly the ski that I like the most, our job is to figure out the who who it's for, how does it want to be skied, and the rest. And if you, with minimal testing, with one person saying it's really good, because by the way, we hear that from companies of all size, all sizes, yep. big established companies to young companies. They're like, we didn't get very good feedback on this, or the feedback was like, yeah, it's great. I don't know, it's it's great, and it's like, okay, that's just, you know, not everybody, maybe you can be a great skier, but maybe not everybody's feedback or ability to give that feedback that maybe is necessary. It's You know, um, those are, those are kind of some different factors and things to think about. So again, for, for, for young folks coming up or thinking about this or trying their hand at building, I think that's a really, really, really key thing you've just said.
1: Absolutely. And it's like, and I don't want to hide the fact too, that like I've made mistakes building skis. Cause it's like, honestly, well, first of all, everyone has. Mm-hmm. everybody I just, has. I haven't gone bankrupt yet, bankrupt yet. Like, you know, some big ski companies maybe have, uh-huh. but yeah. I don't think Rosicle's going to get too mad about me for that <laughs> statement maybe. But, uh, yeah, like it just it takes practice and just being honest about like you know when you mess up and making sure that like you let people know that you're going to take care of them and that you'll fix whatever happens because that's the one thing that i've actually been super blessed on is i've had nothing but great customers hmm. like hands down i cannot tell you a single customer that i've had a bad interaction huh. with and it's like this is over the course of probably i've ended up building maybe 120 130 pairs probably sold close to like hunt between 90 and 100 of those and like every single one of those positive interactions with the Mm -hmm. customer all the way through from building the product to them riding the product and then like i've had people too that have been like hey like you know edges feel a little off so i'm like perfect like i'll comp you a tune here i'll venmo or yeah i'll venmo you 50 bucks take it to your shop make sure you get it right like Mm -hmm. no issue like Mm -hmm. i'll make sure you're gonna be happy riding but even through the course of like all of that, like everyone's been super understanding and then very, very supportive of the business. So it's like, I wish I could list all my customers because they they deserve as much praise for supporting this endeavor mm-hmm. as like what I've gotten. But I just, I can't I cannot express the amount of gratitude I have for the people that have like trusted me with their money to build skis for them. Like I, yeah, words cannot describe.
0: And talk a bit about those folks. I mean, are they, is it kind of first and foremost that they're like, wait, We've got somebody building skis here in South Dakota. That's awesome. Is is that kind of how it goes or has that evolved?
1: It's mainly been, yeah, a lot of it's been locals buying in South Dakota, which has been nice because mm-hmm. I get to see them riding up at the local hill yeah. at Terry Peak, which is fantastic. Yeah. And then I've had quite a few people that have just from out of state either found me usually by relation to like knowing people in Rapid City mm-hmm. that know I exist. So then they'll look at that and want to buy local and buy a pair of skis for me then which is super nice and then funnily enough we've then shipped quite a few ski blades to lots of places i think the farthest away we've got has been like alaska i think it's i think it was fairbanks i'm pretty sure which alaskan shipping is not fun to deal with yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. luckily the guy was super stoked on the blades and the ski blades actually probably has made has been like the broadest catch-all for people buying them which i i don't know i I personally hate building ski blades, but I'm glad people, it's just, I hate cutting out swallowtails. (laughs) Uh I hate cutting out swallowtails on ski blades. It takes a lot of effort and precision to get them cut out looking really nice. And then it seems to me I'm doing it for a a ski blade, but (laughs) I get it. I've, I mean, I've toured on them a lot this last year and I understand the touring aspect hands down, like super fun. And they do. They do actually ski powder really well, weirdly enough, and make powder days and tight trees super fun. I'm just, I finally kind of revamped my whole build process for ski blades, and now it's a lot smoother, Hmm. which is, it's going to make it building them a lot better. Hmm. It was just kind of that initial year of building a bunch of ski blades where it was kind of a headache sometimes when I've had, when I get like three ski blade orders in and everyone wants a swallowtail. And I'm like, I mean, I get it. I understand why you want this. I'm just more frustrated that I put myself in this position than necessarily if the customer is wanting what I'm offering. (laughs)
0: So let's talk about this. How are you finding new customers or how worried are you about finding new customers? Like with your current operation is organic growth. And you've already talked about some of that word of mouth. Is that fine for where you are today? Or are you really trying to expand that audience, ramp up production numbers, et cetera? Where are you at on those fronts?
1: I'd like to expand my audience as much as I can. Personally, it's as far as like what the actual business is right now, I've got a full-time job that I do in addition to running Full Send. So I'm an R&D engineer at a military surplus store, which is a whole other can of worms Mm -hmm. that we'll kind of just like set aside for now. But Full Send then just kind of operates on the sense of, all right, like it makes enough money where I can buy more materials, cover all my costs, maybe buy a pair of ski boots or a new jacket essentially every once, every two years about how much I cycle through equipment. And I'd like it to grow to the point where I can run it as kind of a full-time business. How I'm going to get there is I do need more brand awareness. Mm-hmm. I got it. I mean, it's all, it, essentially it, it's all my, it's all my fault. And why it's as big as it could be. And it's all because I need to do a better job of running a more effective marketing campaign, figuring out how to reach out and actually like you know, get more customers to both, you know, follow the Instagram page, interact with them more, make sure I'm, you know, promoting the skis and how much I like them and enjoy them. And all the fun parts of getting able to do all the build process and kind of letting people in to what full send is, how it all comes together and just doing a better job of marketing myself out to the audience and letting them buy into the idea of the company. And that's the whole thing but I'm kind of engineer brained. So I love building skis. I love prototyping skis. I love testing skis. I hate Instagram. I hate marketing them. I like, I don't, I love talking to people on the chairlift. I love talking to people that buy skis. Like that person, like personality wise there, it's fun. But then like actually figuring out how to run the marketing campaign effectively is it's my biggest drawback. And it's, there's no one to blame but me for that. Hmm. I just need to actually kind of like hammer down, figure out, come up with a plan and then stick to that plan to be able to like get more long-term growth going. Mm-hmm. But at least until then, I'm happy I get to do it every year and that it makes enough money to support itself. And, I mean, it's not going away because stubbornness is great. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep me going basically the entire time. Yeah. So I've got a main job that I love, and I get to do the secondary job of building skis that I love. So I have no complaints. Maybe the only complaint I could come up with was – maybe a little more free time would be nice. Mm-hmm. The 12-hour days get kind of long when they keep getting stacked on each other. Mm-hmm. And my only rest day is Sunday. So it's kind of the, uh, the only day that I get to go out and then like ski tour or go skiing without any added marketing thing or added, you know, build process on top of that. But yeah, marketing would be the big deal. And it's just run a better marketing campaign, figure mm-hmm. out where my weak points are, where I want to push it, how I want to market it, the best way to reach customers, which a lot of it is just, how do I get better at running Instagram, mm-hmm. which sucks because I hate Instagram? Hmm.
0: Well, I, I, there is something very, very much to be said, I think, about just continuing to dial in products. Like, I I sort of hate what is actually probably easier than ever to pull off these days, which is be a phenomenal marketing company, but make a crappy product. Yep, and so if if the growth can be organic, buy you more months and years to dial things in. Let that good word of mouth continues, and then I don't know, maybe you randomly end up on a blister podcast where more <laughs> people will, you know, kind of check out what you're up to. And um, but I think like for long term success, if that's really what it's about. Just be dialed on the product. And then, yeah, you know, make, you got to make the finances work so you're not spending too recklessly or investing in dumb things. And then, if you can keep it going for a while, I think, I think that slower, more organic build over time, there's a lot to like about that model. Even if these days we sure hear about, there's a lot of buzz around companies that kind of go the other direction on that front. Yep. But I don't know, you know, like things are hard, everything is hard. Like in doing things well turns out is just super hard all the time. And, you know, if you're not cut out for that or you don't like the sound of that, then maybe don't get started. But I I do feel like we're almost in a weird period where it's like, I don't know, like you you just sounded real apologetic, like I should be doing a better job and maybe those things are all true. But I don't know, some like Taking that time to dial things in well and have maybe it's fewer customers than it could be, but have them really happy, be getting that good feedback, lay that solid foundation. Seems like that's a way to build something lasting.
1: And I'd much rather, like to piggyback off that, I'd much rather do like essentially build one ski that works really, really well and have that kind of be like the main core and that's it and not expand much beyond that because as long as that product is dialed and it works really well and we have got a well-established like customer base that would enjoy that ski, then it's like, yeah, I can spend some more time expanding it on the side, doing more prototyping. But to me, it's a lot better overall for business just to do a couple things or one thing superb as opposed to trying to do a lot of things like really mediocre, Yeah, which you can apply that to like your entire life too. That's right. <clears throat> That's right. How many people have like a plethora of hobbies that they all kind of are just okay at or that they just do? as opposed to like a couple of hobbies that they just are actually really good at, really enjoy, and then just, you know, burn that, essentially burn that hobby to the ground and just do that all the time instead of trying to just spread themselves too thin, frankly.
0: I need to let you get going. Tell us a little bit about Full Send, you know, for people listening to this and are thinking, man, this is pretty interesting sounding. What should people know about The current offerings, where should they go to learn more about you and the company? What do you got for us?
1: So best place to learn more about the company, combination of the Instagram page, if you're a mainly visual learner, tons of good photos. My buddy Landon takes all my photos and does a great job. Or if you want to read a little bit more about some of the product and look at some of the skis and whatnot, fullsenskico.com, great spot to go visit. And then if you have any questions at all, you can hit me up on email, hit me up on Instagram DMs. I think I still have a Facebook page, so that works too, but that <laughs> I seems... I think I still... <laughs> I don't know. Instagram's Instagram's way easier for communication, so please do that. Yeah. Or if, you know, if, and if you want to get more in-depth on kind of like how the design process goes or like what the ski is kind of tuned for, what sort of riding style, just ask me questions. I love talking about this stuff and just love kind of getting down into the weeds about how to build skis. So, mm-hmm. and if you're ever looking to start your own ski company or want to build skis, mm. Whether for business or for fun, let me know if you got questions. Like, I'd love to save someone else out there all the pain that I had to go through to figure Mm -hmm. something out if it means that they can, like, pursue their own dream or project or whatever it is. Because there's plenty of room in the industry for a bunch of unique minds to build a bunch of fun products. And it's no one's going to build the same ski as much as some people might try to. There's so much of an art that still goes into the manufacturing of snow skis that. There's plenty of room for people to kind of put their own specific flavor and taste on that. And so I'd love to help someone else out because I've been blessed to do it. So I'd love to help someone else also be able to pursue their own dream or build their own pair of skis. Hmm. Very cool, man. Are you
0: skiing tomorrow here?
1: Planning on skiing tomorrow here. One more day. I think my legs can take it. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Do a little hot tub soak tonight. Another PBR. I should be set.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, it was cool to hear. I mean, the way this went down, we you hit us up and said, Hey, I just wanted to come say hi, if you guys are around. And it was fun that we were able to do this. And I think there probably are a lot of people out there. Like we said, it's like, we all probably at some point are like, man, I want to start a brewery someday. Yeah. I want to brew my own beer. Yeah. Yeah. Brew my own beer or whiskey or something. And I think a lot of people kind of fantasize about that, um, when it comes to skis. And so I think hearing your particular story about how you went about this and some of the challenges along the way and the rest, I I, I think will be very interesting for a lot of people and hopefully uh, for those folks who are tinkering around and are building skis and wondering a bit about it. Um, first of all, I really appreciate how you said that a Mike McCabe and a Luke Jacobson and a Scott Andrus, yes. um, that those folks really were helpful and open to you and with you and that you're willing to do the same for other folks. I, I think that, um, that's pretty cool. And, um, nice to hear that that's been your experience in the ski industry and that now that avenue, your, your door is open to some other folks too. Very, very cool to hear.
1: Exactly. And also Sego Ski Co., may they rest in peace, was mm. also very helpful. Hmm. Unfortunately yeah. for, <laughs>
0: unfortunately yeah. for Sago. But. Well, I mean, you know, and maybe we should end on this. I mean, it's not easy. Like I said, none of this is easy. And, um, you know, I think um, that that should be appreciated if, you know, in the way that late at night, I might be sitting around with some friends like, man, let's start a distillery. You know, it's like, um, okay, are you you ready to do the work? You know, and I think that um, the enthusiasm, the interest in this sport we all love, that's fantastic. But there probably is that part about, are you really ready to get into the weeds and do the work to make this go because even, uh, really talented people with a lot of vision and the rest it's, it is, uh, it is not easy any of these paths. So
1: no, I mean, it is both the best and worst thing I've ever done. Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's
1: it. That's, that's, that's all of it. Yeah, And there's a ton of great companies out there that probably made some really great skis mm. that unfortunately are no longer around. Mm. And sometimes it's just stubbornness will keep you going and you can't always look at it as, as something that's going to make you a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, it's, it's the ski business. Mm. You're not making money in the ski business. Mm.
0: (laughs) Well, Hey man, it's great to meet great to meet again. I should say not on a chairlift this time and you know, we'll be keeping an eye out, but all the best to you and and good luck with it. And, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned, man. That sounds great. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. You take care. You do. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Doug for a great conversation, and thanks for coming through Blister headquarters in Mount Crested Butte. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you, as always, for listening. And let's see, in other news this week, we just dropped a really excellent episode over on our Blister Cinematic Podcast that was with the skier Connor Ryan about his new video series and then we are also about to drop our next crafted podcast episode and this one is with Matt Sturbins and it's about backcountry skiing and saunas and you're definitely going to want to check it out. This one surprised me all over the place. So subscribe to our Blister Cinematic Podcast if you haven't already. Subscribe to our Crafted Podcast to learn about you know saunas from the sauna shaman. And then we will talk to all of you again over right here on our little Blister Podcast. We'll do that again real soon. All right, everybody, take care. Talk to you later.